Welcome to the Better Money, Better World Show, a podcast project of Impact Capital Managers, or ICM. ICM is a group of investors who believe that by solving the world's greatest challenges, we will generate market-leading returns for investors while bending the arc of human history towards sustainability and justice. ICM members have backed companies ranging from Tesla to Coursera to Vital Farms. Collectively, ICM's 60 members manage over $12 billion. I'm your host, Daniel Pianco, a co-founder of ICM. My day job is co-founder and managing director of Achieve Partners, a leading investor in education and human capital. Here on Better Money, Better World, we'll explore the stories of our investor members, the companies we're building, and the limited partners allocating money to investors who don't just seek alpha, but also to leverage their capital to build a better world. Episodes will be released each week and feature a new guest telling their own unique investment stories, strategies, and perspectives. And we've got lots of great guests lined up. So if you're excited about what this show might teach you about impact investing and the people behind it, make sure you subscribe to Better Money, Better World, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're feeling generous, give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It's a great way to highlight the work of impact investors and grow the community of impact investing. Now, with that out of the way, let me introduce you to our Better Money, Better World guests. J.P. Morgan Chase is America's largest bank, and its private banking business, the firm's wealth management arm for high and ultra high net worth clients, is committed to building a sustainable investment platform that enables clients to direct dollars towards sustainable investing. What's next for them? They are drilling down on how to invest sustainably, then measure that impact in both public and private markets. Jessica Matthews is Global Head of Sustainable Investing at J.P. Morgan Private Bank. Prior to joining the firm, she was Head of Mission-Related Investing at Cambridge Associates. Jessica describes how throughout her career, the focus on sustainable investing has deepened due to increased client demand across both challenging investment cycles and bull markets. In 2020, J.P. Morgan partnered with Tideline to offer the Global Impact Fund, a portfolio of impact-focused private vehicles focused on advancing towards the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. J.P. Morgan applies the same rigor to its diligence process for Global Impact Fund investments and leverages the fund's new impact assessment and contribution tool that that is used to identify and evaluate impact fund managers. Another recent development was J.P. Morgan's acquisition of Open Invest a values-based investment technology company. In 2021, to deepen the business's commitment to values-based investing as a pillar of its sustainability approach. Open Invest Platform allows JP Morgan to personalize portfolios to align with clients' values and preferences and helps clients better understand how their investments are supporting their goals. Jessica, welcome to the Better Money, Better World podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Daniel. Really good to be here. My first podcast. I'm really excited. Well, we are excited to have you. And I'd love to start with you giving us a pitch. If I'm an individual with $100 million in assets who is passionate about aligning my financial resources with my values, why should I pick J.P. Morgan Private Bank? Sure. Well, um, well, lucky you, first of all. And I'm glad that you want to focus on impact. Um, I'd say at JP Morgan, a couple of things. One is this is an area in which we are investing massively. So we are, and I'll get into this more later, but we have acquired firms like Open Invest. We are literally hiring experts, including people who are PhDs in climate science. 
Um, and so, and you know, where needed, as I'll get into later as well, like we've brought in contractors to help us be smarter on these things. So we're able to do that with our scale at JP Morgan, our solid balance sheet, and we are massively investing in this. Um, I'd say also, and this is really important, you know, and you know this, Daniel, like if you've met one mission investor or impact investor, you've met one, meaning that this is a space like our mantra in the private bank in general is around customization and personalization. But I always say there's no area where that's more important than in doing this. And so, you know, we, you could be in, especially in private banking, you know, you could, you could want to just say, here's our core portfolio. If you want to do impact, this is what we provide. Um, and we have that because some people want a turnkey solution, but we've built plenty more around that so that we're meeting clients where they are from, you know, thematic ideas, things in the public markets, things in the private markets across different themes that matter to them. So really trying to meet clients where they are um, to, to meet their, their goals. Um, and I say that platform that we've created is um, via extensive due diligence and um, you know, rigor around that due diligence and also you know, an absolute devotion. And it's a hot topic these days to avoiding greenwashing. Um, really, really high, trying to have a high integrity around impact. Um, and finally, I just say, you know, again, back to like what we're able to offer with our scale, we have a philanthropy center. So when people think about impact, what's the totality of the impact they want to have from investments through to who they want to be uh, on the philanthropic side of things? And, and so we view that as a total picture as well as having a donor advised fund and so able to provide that. So I sit on the fifth floor of my office. That was not the elevator pitch to get downstairs from the fifth floor. Uh, <laughs> maybe I'm going to work on shortening that, but that that's from the uh, the new JP Morgan 70th floor, 70th floor of the new uh, all electric building coming. <laughs> it, it's going to be an amazing tower. I it's it, through COVID watching it come down and slowly now getting built up again. Is, Fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, isn't it'll it? be really exciting. Can't wait huge to get in there. Kudos, huge kudos to the leadership to continue. <laughs> You know, you've been doing this for, you, you said something really interesting, which is that, that every impact investor is different. And you've been doing this for a long time. Has that evolved? Like, do, do, do we now have a much more distributed set of impact objectives? Or, or do you think the universe is more complex? Oh, the universe is absolutely more complex. I mean, um, what I've seen over time is, you know, starting with kind of the basics at the very beginning, trying to do um, ESG in the public equity markets. Um, you know, it didn't take too long, especially since I started my um, my journey on this at Cambridge Associates where we do a lot of alternatives. And then we were clearly looking for some alternatives ideas. But this notion of like the complexity of what people are trying to do, um, you know, has, has certainly evolved over time and, and year over year, especially in like the last four, three to four, um, you know, I just see, um, you know, this going in a lot of different directions and requiring, like I referred to a lot more expertise, um, and, uh, and responding to just a variety of client demands. So you mentioned Cambridge, you have served two stints at Cambridge, uh, for, first really early in your career, uh, almost 20 years ago. And then, uh, you became the head of mission related investing at Cambridge and now you're head of sustainable investing at JP Morgan. On that journey of complexity, were there two or three moments when you said this is a really important turning point in impact investing? You know, I actually have to start that response with with kind of laughing about where this was. So I was rehired. I was starting to have conversations in late 07 into 08. Um, and I was hired by my former boss who I had worked with starting my career there in 2000, uh, 2001 <laughs> and, uh, and, and was coming back then. And literally, um, this gentleman, Kevin Stevenson, said to me at the time, like, we're making kind of a three-year commitment to this. 
there's a handful of foundations that are really passionate about this, but you know, let, let's kind of see where this goes. It wasn't like a, Hey, upper out thing, but just, just not really clear how much this was going to take off with the rest of our clients. And so now I'm, I'm entering it's March 08. And you can imagine that we were very popular for a couple of months then 08 happened and, and maybe, you know, I specifically remember being yanked from a couple of uh, investment committee agendas towards the end of 08, like they had other fish to fry. But, but what happened for the next couple of years, several years, and I was there for a decade, it, it really started to take off in a, in a more meaningful way. And for me, one of the, um, the great even moments for me was actually just getting the call and being hired by JP Morgan. And, we, you know, I had counterparts at the other private banks. And so here's like mainstream, uh, you know, big financial firms who who are really um, who are really taking note. And, and so that that change for me came um, when I when I joined in uh, 2018. And then one of these moments. So I'll give you two specifics. Like one of these moments for me in the past four years actually came not that long after I got there where, you know, you can imagine that I sometimes often every day champion these causes. But. In a room that I was not in, like our capital markets people, our people who think about where we want to focus clients, what we want to talk to clients about, decided that they were going to articulate three mega trends at the time. Digital transformation, healthcare innovation, no surprise there. But the third one was sustainability. And I was not there. Like this was just something that a team of people who thinks about macro issues arrived at on their own. And so to me, that was like a great moment. And that mega trend has stuck with ways that we're describing, you know, growth areas to clients today. What year was that? So I got there in 18 and I think we articulated that megatrend, I want to say in 19. And, um, and that brings me to today, because I mean, Daniel, you may agree, like, I think we're in this moment today. It is, we're halfway through 22 and I'm like, what a year it's been already. We've got the amount of focus on this from a regulatory standpoint, from Europe, obviously, where this started, but now to Washington and to Singapore, like it is absolutely a moment in time where you're just seeing this 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 focus on it that I it just catches us off guard sometimes. Um, and then, you know, not to get any bit political about it, but when you have like former vice presidents writing about this in the Wall Street Journal, like it, it's a moment. It's just a moment, and it really feels like an inflection moment to me. So, one of the main uh, efforts, one of the major efforts of JP Morgan is this global impact fund that you created. And full disclosure, as you know, Achieve Partners is in the global impact fund. Can you first of all describe what the global impact fund is? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so you know, at its core, this is something we we established. It's it's a fund of funds. It's a portfolio impact focused private investment funds with the intent to advance progress towards the UN SDGs. Um, and we established our first one of these. This will be like a program for us. We will, we will do this uh, repeatedly. Um, but we established the first one in 2020. Um, we did this um, in partnership with Tideline. We get a little bit that a little bit more. But, um, but, but maybe a why is also important. You know, I think there's two key reasons. One, we were tending to see, you know, smaller funds in, in impact. Um, and so a, you know, a combined fund of funds approach certainly gives you the opportunity to invest in smaller deals um, and pool them together, which is, which is an attractive approach for us for this space. Um, and also just viewed, um, just viewed this as a way that it might work better for our clients. And what I mean by that is a lot of them were new to this space, um, maybe just have one thing that they wanted to focus on, but you know, pulling it all together, we just felt like was going to help clients kind of get there rather than feel like they were taking some rifle shot into one issue and, and it made them maybe a little nervous. Um, so so it was it was kind of like 
not that lockdown in 2020 was a fun thing, but this was a fun project we worked on. We were all Zoom. We were working with Tideline. Um, and we were really seeking to, um, to focus on three themes, health and wellness, climate solutions, and inclusive growth. Um, and so what we've resulted in, you know, when we closed the fund, was about $150 million fund across eight underlying managers. And so far, we've done six co-invests out of the fund. That's great. Do, do clients get have to opt into the fund or how do you how do you get uh, your clients? You said every investor is their own has their own thing. How does the the global impact fund fit in with this kind of diversification of interest? Yeah, um, well, it's a really good question because that is and I, and I made this clear when actually we were endeavoring down this route. I said, you know, I, I love this. I get why we're going to do it. I hope it's not the only thing we do necessarily on privates. And so that has actually remained the case. So we will have this, we will come back, you know, we're hoping every 18 months to two years with this program, but where it fits is, is you know, and, and, and important to mention, it is managed by the same team that does due diligence on all of our private investments vehicles. I have a really close partnership with that team, but it's very deliberate that that team manages this vehicle. And, um, and they're also bringing, you know, other funds. And that goes back even before I got here. As a matter of fact, the week I joined in 2018, we were launching an emerging markets VC fund that week. It was like the greatest welcome. It had just hit the platform and it, we're all abuzz talking to clients about that fund. So, you know, we're live right now with a, with a climate PE vehicle. There'll just be things that we do individually because clients have their particular themes they want to focus on. But this will be a good program, too, for us. It's interesting you mentioned the same rigor from the traditional private equity platform. Um, I can tell you that for us, that was a massively important thing because, you know, being included on the JP Morgan platform is a huge benefit for emerging managers. So how do you actually, I, I went through it, so I, but this, this is about you. So how do you actually ensure the same level of rigor uh, and operational due diligence uh, as the, as the traditional JP Morgan platform. Yeah, and and it is it is same. So it is same due diligence team process, et cetera, and that goes for operational due diligence as well. So so that's important. Everything is the same, and it's looked it. I think, and especially because like I've seen like the Cambridge way and the JP way, like it just works really well to have these things with the groups that do all of those due diligence because it gives it a lot of credibility and you're just speaking the same language with the same committees. Um, so I think that works really well for us. And then we have this like additional additional layer of due diligence around impact. And that's really, you know, kudos to Tideline for working with us on that. I and mean, we thought we were pretty good at it. We'd seen a ton of managers. You know, my team has its expertise at Lens, but we really had you know, Tideline come in and help us be even better on this impact assessment. Um, but importantly to your question, you know, what do we do and how do we think about these newer funds? Like this global impact fund, we have you in the you in the fund, obviously. We have um, Trill and Two Sigma, which were first-time funds. Um, you know, we had three other funds that were on fund two. So we were really open to newer vehicles. And, and I think the role that we play is also that, you know, we take an active role. So our PE team, you know, the due diligence colleagues are on um, some of the LPACs. Um, and so, so it's, it's same, but also different in the sense that we, um, you know, we have this whole rigor around impact and, um, and really trying to help, you know, in the role that we can play with, with those funds. And can you give some case studies and maybe specifically weave in like the tideline process uh, from, from the Global Impact Fund? Yeah, sure. So, um, so with Tideline, you know, we we dubbed this thing a you know an impact assessment tool. So, so we have our you know we're meeting with 
with fund managers day in and day out, but now we're going to add this extra layer of, um, you know, um, measuring around impact management effectively. And so the impact tool, the impact assessment and contribution tool um, does just that. And so it, you know, we're looking in a consistent way across many different metrics. I will say we actually issued a, um, a, uh, a case study around this that's, a, that's available publicly that we did with Tyline um, around exactly, like we were very open source about what this assessment tool looked like. Um, so, so it's, you know, the management of impact, not even just the measurement of it. And I think that's important too, because I'd note that um, we as the GP felt like we needed to have an impact contribution as well, like joining an LPAC, like making introductions to other, other funds, um, et cetera. So in terms of, you know, the case studies, um, We've had some really exciting funds that we found across like, you know, inclusive growth obviously includes achieve, but also, you know, a learn capital focused on education technology. I'd also say one fun one that was interesting and different and like caused a conversation internally was, you know, working with Two Sigma and I, they have a whole thesis around the acceleration and creation of good jobs, but it's not as if there's a particular company that does that for them. It's their process and their thorough evaluation and what they're doing with the research that they obtain to understand what a good job is and to come in with influence to in any kind of company. It's not like they're creating a widget or a specific company that's a solution. It's having an impact in a different way. And that was actually new for me to think about like that application of impact, if that makes sense, because it's, it's certainly a different approach. And so we were open to different approaches. Um, and then I, and I would want to mention too, we tried to have geographic diversity as well. So we have a dedicated venture fund and uh, sorry, excuse me, emerging markets fund in there. And then some of the deals from our underlying vehicles would be in emerging markets. We, we had Warren from Two Sigma on the podcast a few months ago. So it's, he's got, he tells a great story. Yeah. Um, so you know it well, and he's got his book. It's great. It's great what they've done. Yeah, I, I want to actually play off of that. I mean, Two Sigma is a large traditional asset manager, right? I mean, one of the largest hedge funds. Um, and you have other many fund families like Apollo, Bain, TPG, all growing these sort of impact practices. How do you think of the interplay between smaller impact native firms and name brand firms that are entering the impact market? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a really good question. And, and right, it's been like the source of some debate even over time. Um, but I think our view is that it is, it is certainly not an either or, it is a both and. And, you know, the market needs both. That, that's my view. Um, and, and so certain really large firms will work better for some clients who just feel better knowing the name or, you know, having a bigger fund rather than a smaller fund or whatever it might be. And certainly some of our clients are not even interested in going that direction. They want to have a high impact. They're looking more on the venture side of things or, or whatever it may be. So, but we are personally on our platform looking at both. There are both directly in that fund and there are both, um, you know, in, in what we do like individually that we offer to clients. Um, and so, you know, I think that um, my view on it, you know, is like, it's all about the impact integrity. So it's not like big equals bad. It's just still making sure that the level of rigor of due diligence, of, of impact due diligence and, and, and the focus on impact and having the right people there to help with that, um, I, think, I think is really important. And, and look, the bigger firms provide um, follow-on investments you know, and exits uh, potential for some of the other firms as well. So it's just, it's all part of, I think, what impact needs as it's as it's maturing the impact investing space in the private markets you know needs both definitely uh having just done sort of a survey of every private market effectively what you did was to identify top or or, or the best suited for you impact managers in private markets 
Are there areas that you found that were underserved by funds? Well, yeah. I mean, I think that there are, um, there's been an evolution. Like for a long time, there was mostly, and this is public and private markets, um, a lot more focused on the E. Like just climate solutions were what felt investable and obvious and people were more clamoring for those ideas. What I've seen over time, like I remember actually back in the day, decade plus ago, you know, clients asking about education and we'd say like, well, that might be something you have to do through your philanthropy or like, you know, policy things you want to get involved in, but we're just not seeing a lot on that, you know, in, in, in investments. And that has certainly changed as a great example. And, you know, the good work that you all do around workforce development and what we just talked about with jobs, like now there's a lot more of that in the private markets. And so they are investable, right? Like that's what we see now, which is great. Um, uh, I'd say um, actually, you know, the private markets is actually better for that now than the public markets. We still have a little bit more of a challenge finding these like kind of more socially oriented strategies in the public markets now. Um, and so, you know, I think other areas that that I like to think of that are kind of also maturing and are becoming much more investable are, um, are around, um, you know, diversity and gender lens investing. Um, that can be just like a lens through which to look at any opportunity, or it can be a discrete, you know, kind of impact focus. Um, and what I mean by the lens is, of course, we know that there should be so many more, um, you know, uh, diverse populations within the asset management industry. So we're very, very focused on making sure, and that was actually a key thing for our global impact fund was to be laser focused on, on who is managing the money. Um, so that would also be a suggestion to anybody who's like going to create a fund is who, who do you have, who are you and who do you have around you to help make those decisions? And, and, and is there diversity there? Um, and then, you know, we see new themes evolving to like, um, like biodiversity, um, which is, is coming up fast and something that people are trying to figure out how to invest in, um, different ways to approach that. Um, so yeah, I think, I think where we, um, we're, I, I'm personally pleased to see the development of a lot of these different areas. Um, um, and I think we have more, you know, we're seeing more again, like around affordable housing and things like that, where, um, you know, some people have been invested in that for a long time, but I think that institutional market like ours is maybe, um, you know, we've thought about that as core to JPMC's business and some of the investments we've made, but over in, you know, private banking land, I think that we could be doing more on, on things like that as well. And I'm pleased to see that the investment opportunity is keeping pace. I want to switch the public markets in a second, but before I do, there's something that you said that I want to pick up on, which is you, you mentioned that sort of the evolution of a lot of different strategies around gender lens investing. And we had Jenny Abrams and Heidi Patel on uh, who are rethink impact great, really great. I think that was our best session on general lens investing um, on the podcast. But every few years, there seems to be new areas of impact from racial justice, biodiversity. How do you see changing trends impacting how your uh, clients at the bank invest? Well, some of the changing trends What's really interesting, and this goes back to my earlier comments on that moment when J.P. Morgan in the private bank decided we'd have sustainability as a megatrend. And, and honestly, this goes to like how we talk to clients about this sometimes. Sometimes sustainability conversations or any of these vehicles come up because a client has asked us, obviously. And then, and then we can say, this is great. And we have this. And, and, and that continues to grow. And we continue to educate our advisors to make sure that they're armed with the answers to those questions. No small feat. Um, but... Um, but then, you know, on the flip side of it, 
we also bring up these things sometimes with clients in this megatrend context as just like good ideas. So we keep up with the trends and what we see, and then we are bringing them forth to clients as good ideas. Um, and so, um, and I, so I think, you know, that's also my advice to anybody like with the fund is you really need to lean on the fundamentals. Like what industry are you operating in and why is it in that transition or why, you know, why is it ready for commercialization and growth? Because, you know, Certainly, even in the climate transition, there is a variety of phases of that um, from things that, you know, investing in batteries and storage is in a completely different place than green hydrogen. And so, you know, really understanding those is now becoming like so much more relevant to us to think about from a macro standpoint. And so we so you ask your question, like we are keeping track of those kind of trends, um, where things are in their maturity and commercialization and bringing those ideas um, to clients proactively where it seems appropriate. And then in other cases, we learn from our clients on what they want, like biodiversity, you know, like education, like some of these other things. I mean, and, and community investing for sure. You know, I learned from my early days of doing this, and this just was true even talking to an institution yesterday, like um, local community foundations, guess what? They want to invest in the local community. And so, uh, you know, it's it's on us to figure out how to continue to help in those areas because that's that's actually not as easy. And there isn't like a plethora of opportunities in any geography, certainly not a lot in some very remote geographies. So um, so I think, you know, I, I guess to be more succinct in the, the, the summary to, to your question is we are trying to ourselves stay on top of trends and just very proactively bring these ideas to clients but we're always in receipt of like kind of what clients are interested in to continue to evolve what we're looking for. And like, actually one of the things that I do is I like get in front of our senior leaders and I'll be like, look, this isn't on your radar. Why would it be as much? But I am telling you, this is what we're hearing from clients. And like, we really feel like we need to invest in that area and we have that open dialogue. And and that's, that's one thing that they're very receptive to. And that's how it's been working. That's a great answer. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit and come back to what you said earlier around the difficulty of finding really interesting opportunities in the public markets. And one of the things you did recently was acquire Open Invest. Can you first describe what Open Invest is and then why the platform is strategic to JP Morgan? Yeah, I mean, in the shortest sense, Open Invest is a values based fintech company. Um, I know that for a couple of years, I knew Josh Levin, you know, years ago and um, was so thrilled when this, this came to be. Um, and, and I think of it, they can do a lot of things. I mean, they're so innovative and, and, um, and there's more to come from them. But at the core of their business and, and the things that we were, you know, looking to when we first started working with them and brought them on is, you know, they have used proprietary technology and their own insights to find ways to bring, you know, so-called causes to clients that are personal to them. And that they can then, um, you know, articulate in their portfolios in low cost ways, you know, doing direct indexing. And so what I even mean by a cause is, you know, again, prior to them, these methodologies that they, um, where they find leaders and laggards in a specific, you know, issue area or value to a client. And, and it's really unique sources of data from NGOs to academia, you know, some of the, the main, you know, you know, ESG kind of reporting agencies, um, and so, so for each of these causes, then they are thinking about who's a leader, who's a laggard. And then, and this is the second component of why, you know, it was so attractive to us to work with them is um, they're thinking about reporting. And so with all of that data and all that they're able to do on the investing side, it translates very well to being able to talk to clients about the impact that they're having. Um, so it's, it's really sophisticated sustainability reporting um, to help clients understand the impact they're having. So a client could look at their portfolio and say, I want to be the 
invest in the most environmentally sensitive oil company? Or I, I mean, I, is that how it would work? Or what would give you like how would a client see it? So a client would, so first of all, you know, the goal is to have clients basically having a menu of options and they get to choose what they wanted to see in their portfolios. Like, so the actual portfolio management, if they've chosen to use this kind of like a direct indexing approach would be customized to them. And then on the back end, yes, they could see, you know, and, and like to be a little bit more specific, we're talking about racial equity causes, greenhouse gas emissions, sustainable ag, veterans, healthy oceans. I mean, it runs the gamut. And so, you know, as a client then, and, and, you know, this will be everywhere, but let's say, you know, the start has been on the public equity side of things. Um, you know, you can um, look at how you're doing versus a reference benchmark. That's always kind of the position is to think about like, it's all a, a relative thing. So, um, so, and of course there are absolute exclusions that are possible. Some clients just want to reflect their values by saying, do not own. And that's, that's, that's what's easier and been done for a long time. What's new and innovative here is thinking about, to kind of tilt in the lean in to issues that care that you care about because that's not as easy to do and that's where this kind of like proprietary methodology comes in. So so clients on the back end will see that like this is your positioning versus the benchmark and then also um, and you know Josh has been talking about this for years making this tangible to people like impact metrics where you're reporting out on you know things avoided or things enhanced and, and those kind of metrics that'll that'll come. So without getting too much into the weeds and it's not out there yet, but that's what's to come from us. That's very cool that you're able to actually uh, measure these things across your portfolio. But it brings up a question I've wrestled with a long time, which is evaluating IRR and, and other core metrics. It's, it's very standardized, right? Um, what are clients looking for in their wealth managers when they think about ESG? Our clients mostly have been looking for market rates return. I mean, that's really what we where we have been playing in any of the asset classes we've been talking about. Um, you know, you know, I think there is absolutely room for you know a continuum of return and impact. I know it exists. It it is needed, and and I and I'm glad that there's a lot of investors who are thinking about that to date. And I watch this because I think this could evolve. But to date, our clients have mostly been asking us for um for you know investments um that are you know achieving whatever you know market rate achieving whatever performance you know versus the standard benchmark in that respective asset class. Um and and years ago going back to when like I was talking about when I started, it was effectively enough for us to just try to underwrite the due diligence, think that we'd get you know good returns and you know just assess whatever the managers told us they would do and we hope they live up to their impact, you know their stated sustainability objective, let's say. Now, all these years later, and this didn't just occur in the past years, it's been an evolution of time. It was then investors saying, well, why would I do all of this without understanding my impact? And so I think there's been a very, like a huge increasing amount of focus on what that impact looks like. And, you know, like it was so great to come full circle and partner with, with Tideline because I've known Ben Thornley for a long time and he got this bug in my ear years ago. Like you guys have to think about the impact reporting more. And he was right. And that's, you know, that was back at Cambridge when we started to do that. And now here with this evolution. And, you know, I think like ESG scores and all of that play a really important role. We partner with some of those providers. We show them to clients fund managers that we use, use those scores to create portfolios. But I think the future is really in more of these tangible impacts that we can report to clients. And we're doing that through Tideline on the public side. Sorry, open invest on the public side today. And this work that we've done with Tideline on our private investments vehicle, you know, stay tuned because we'll be coming out with more impact on what that portfolio is doing. 
So in effect, there'll be a, an IRR and an ESG metric. Yes. I mean, we will, oh, I mean, to, sorry, to report on IRR is like, you know, standard for us and you'll get the report from us, but then you get to see the impact side of things next to that. And, and like I've said, in ways that we think are, are more innovative than simply reporting a score. Do you ever have clients opt out of that? Well, yeah. So that'll that'll remain to be seen um, for clients who just who just won't want that. You know, it's not it's not it's not a fully loaded into their regular way uh, client channels yet. So so we'll see what that looks like when that gets out there. And um, and, and yet, you know, you can imagine there's all sorts of things that we have to be mindful of as we build for these things. Like I don't want to even get in the weeds on this, but like if you put that menu out there, some people would. Like you can imagine, there are certain certain things on the menu that'll some people will be interested in, and there'll be certain things on the menu that'll actually annoy people that they're on the menu. <laughs> so, yes, there are various opinions on these things. I, I hear we live in a complex world. Um, <laughs> yeah. But one of the things you said really kind of interested me, which is you know, there's almost like this embedded assumption in some of your clients that uh, impact funds will have a lower hurdle. How how much longer do you think that that bias that impact has low returns will exist in your in your investor community or client community? Yeah, I mean it's the client community, but you know even like I, you know, I kind of facetiously referred earlier to the challenge of educating advisors. Um, you know I think uh, universally there's just been this like misconception that has hung around for a long time about, you know, kind of what this is and what this isn't. And I think if you're just taking up pure exclusions and you're just removing things from the portfolio and then you feel like, you know, over different periods of time, your, your performance is going to differ from the benchmark, that might that might feel like concession. Or, you know, you've lowered your universe of funds you would even invest in because you need to adhere to some, you know, to some value. But after that, everything else that we are doing, you know, is thinking about, you know, one thing we haven't mentioned yet on this call is, this notion of environmental, social, and governance (ESG) as being, you know, material to investment management. And you know, I hired somebody um, on my team earlier this year who's who's here with us now, and he's the head of ESG integration, and he is teaching everybody what that means. People actually don't even think that that's necessarily a thing. Like ESG integration must mean, you know, having a sustainability objective. So you're going to tell me that my portfolio has to be have a lower carbon footprint than the benchmark. And, and we'd say, no, that, that's a sustainability objective. ESG is actually about thinking about risks and opportunities that you uncover because you're looking at material ESG factors across your entire portfolio. And, um, and so, so we're teaching people that, and I think people are starting to get that more and more. And then, you know, um, and then, you know, just constantly trying to debunk kind of those myths um, in more of the, you know, thematic and impact side of things by talking about these mega trends and, and, you know, it's hard to ignore, you know, this weird moment in time where oil and gas is up 60% at this point this year, the only positive reporting, uh, positive sector for the year. But, but that aside, like the, is one of our, you know, main macroeconomists even wrote recently, like this energy transition is irreversible. And there is so much to invest in, um, in order to make that a reality. So, so we anchor on those things. We should show people the proof a lot more proof these days, certainly more than there was in 2008, um, you know, studies and actual track records of funds, but we also lean in on what the macro issues are. And so hopefully we're helping to debunk the myth. It, it, it's a misperception that exists. It's thankfully lessened over time. Will it ever go away entirely? I'm not sure, but. Was there a mentor who helped you on your journey? I mean, it's been an amazing, you, you've taken us on an amazing journey through the history, you know, through this kind of evolution, especially the last five, 10 years. 
from your state at JPM. Like, was there a mentor who really influenced you in your thinking around these issues? Yeah, I mean, I guess in thinking about that, you know, it's 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 my former boss Kevin that I referred to that I'd start with on that journey because you know he rehired me into the firm in 2008, um, and and I would say, and he would tell you, like he wasn't a deep subject matter expert on these issues. He had the business case presented to the firm and, and got me rehired, and and what I learned from him was a very practical and I think pragmatic approach to what it would take to do this topic in a traditional investment firm. And I've carried that through with me, obviously, to my current role. And in addition, Kevin is just like phenomenal with clients as his core, you know, chief investment officer kind of function. And so just learned a ton from him, watching him during those, uh, those in my return to Cambridge or in both since I came here to say. But on the more impact side of things, I'd have to go back again to that moment in time where we were working really closely with some of the pioneers of mission and impact investing. So I think my views on impact um, and and you know how to have impact and um, were from from investors like the Heron Foundation, you know Luther Luther Reagan initially, and then Clara Miller, um, who you know I think back to like them helping me think through negative externalities and flipping up the hood to make sure you think you're getting the impact you're getting, and some of those like really influential thoughts. Um, and I'd also put um, you know the Meyer Memorial Trust and Doug Stam on that list because he was also one of those investors we were working with on a really early. Um, he had a very uh, innovative way that he brought this to his committee and staff to get them to pay attention, you know, with like headline risk kind of stuff that was happening back in the day. Um, also had a pragmatic approach. And literally yesterday with a client, I referenced the Meyer Memorial Trust bullseye approach to impact investing, which I think has lasted, it's let, you know, it's been tested. It's lasted over time. And I think it's great. So those are, that's who I think of some of the individual people and in the institutions that really formed my early views. What is that Meyer bullseye approach? I've never heard it before. Oh, it's great. So, I mean, effectively, you know, you think about like in the case of Meyer, they're, um, you know, a foundation that's focused on improving the life of Oregonians. So their mission is going to be pretty narrowly focused when they're like targeting a certain uh, community and geography. And so that's the bullseye though. Like if you want to have a mission investing program that aligns to your mission, that would be at the center of the bullseye. And they've done some good work and even through their PRI program to target that bullseye. But you just, you just think about expanding throughout the ring. So maybe the next ring is like, you're still having impact that's core to your mission, but you're not doing it in Oregon anymore. And then maybe you're looking at the next ring and saying, okay, well, we don't focus in our mission and our philanthropic activities on climate, but it's really important. So the next ring is like, let's do some climate impact investing. And I'm making it up and I'm not close enough to Myers portfolio anymore, but you get the sense. And then, and then, and then it's like, okay, well, we have to invest in public equities. So let's invest in good ESG equities as the next ring out. So it's just thinking about what you're really trying to do with the core of the bullseye and, and having some flexibility around it. As we come to a close, I have two last questions. One is, you know, as we, as we enter this period where the, you know, whether we get to a bear market or not, the markets are down 20 plus percent. You referenced oil earlier as the only upside here. How do you, do you think impact will stay front and center during a time of economic change? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're absolutely, you know, asking ourselves that, um, that right now, because I, I will say there was always this view by, by many that, you know, ESG and impact investing were a bull market luxury. And, and we've seen that run and we've seen great performance. And now we're in kind of a different environment, um, especially with regard to, to energy. So, um, you know, I'm still completely optimistic. And, and I think it's real that we are, that this is here to stay. You know, and um, there's many different factors at play. The regulations I mentioned earlier, I mean, this isn't optional in some of these regions around the world anymore. Um, and so so we've really got, I think, um, a lot of people focused on this. 
Um, investors are interested. You know, ESG has kind of like earned its keep and it's proving itself to be, you know, additive when done well. You know, when you focus on ESG material issues, you've got shareholders that realize that their voice matters. Look what happened at Exxon last year. So I think there's just a lot that's gone on enough that this isn't like going to go away just because maybe the market environment doesn't favor it today. Um, and I would say that we have I'm very, very closely watching flows, as you can imagine. So we um, we have seen actually our clients sticking and, and we're still positive on flows into our sustainable funds this year. So, um, so I think, I think the signs point to positive and like, you know, ESG feels like it's BAU, business as usual. Like it's here, you have to do it. It's table stakes. Um, you know, what I really still, and I wonder if you share this view even, but like what I, I still think that the impact investing specifically is in a different kind of phase of the maturity model. And I think we still need investors and funds like you that are focused on having social and environmental outcomes and, um, so, you know, and, and getting clients to remain, you know, focused on some of those things, I think, um, is our job to do. And, and I think we've still seen that that's working. I want to close with a question that you actually posed to me at one point um, around the difference between the, the uh, public markets versus the private markets. Can you contrast what's happened in the public markets with what we need to do in the private markets to ensure implementation of ESG throughout the more opaque uh, private universe? Yeah, yeah, I, I do think that there's obviously you know some differences in in where people, where you know public versus private is, particularly around ESG. And you know, I think I'd I think I'd first of all say you know it's kind of like the old adage like you can't um, you can't manage what you don't measure. And so um, one of the things we're doing, and this goes back to my comment earlier about hiring somebody um, who's, who's helping us on ESG integration across all asset classes, um, you know, he is helping, and we, we were already doing this work prior to this year, but he's really helping us think about what like ESG analysis looks like, what the questions and surveys that we're asking, and we're doing that across all asset classes. So I think where it's, you know, where it's easier for the U.S. is that you can look at your fund and say, here's how I'm performing versus this benchmark. And maybe that's not as easy in private equity. Um, so you need to really establish some expertise there, know what to collect, and then like know what to do with it. Um, and then I'd also say too, um, you know, private equity is actually in a more unique position than necessarily the public markets in that, you know, you can really have more control as a private equity owner and a venture capital owner. And so, you know, having influence with companies, especially on some of these E, S, and G, like that's really where I think that there can be impact beyond what you're actually doing in the companies that you're looking for. But like, how are you exerting influence once you actually own them? And, um, and you know, I'd encourage people to look beyond having a policy because everybody has a policy, but like, can you prove what you're actually doing um, to, to make a difference? So, um, and, and then, like I said, I think, I think, um, you know, I'm a strong believer in the private markets continuing to have like impact niche focused vehicles that are very needed. Um, they're not philanthropy, but they're having a high impact. And like, that's what people are saying, you know, and it goes back to, again, like what I learned from these foundations early on. And this is true for the high net worth we work with to some degree as well. It's like, you have this huge endowment. How can you only think about like, you know, paying out the 5% towards mission and ignoring what the rest of it's doing. And so I think, I think the the equity markets were first on ESG. The private markets are figuring it out, and 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 impact is needed in in, in all of it, but particularly in the private markets. That is a great place to end. Thank you, Jessica, for being such a leader in the space and bringing you know large institutions into the sustainable world. So thank you for all the work that you've done, and appreciate you having us on, uh, having being on the podcast. 
Yeah, well, thank you so much, Daniel. Thank you to ICM and the whole team. This was this was really fun. Thanks for having me. And hopefully this wasn't too hard for a first podcast. No, this was great. <laughs> now I've done my first podcast. I'm ready for more. But thank great. you very much for hosting me, for having me. This is Marika Spence, Executive Director of Impact Capital Managers. Better Money, Better World is made possible in part by ICM, a nonprofit network of over 60 best-in-class fund managers investing for superior returns and meaningful impact across North America and beyond. Our members share a passion for partnering with entrepreneurs and scaling companies that will realize a more resilient, equitable, and sustainable future. If you enjoyed today's conversation, tune in for the next episode of Better Money, Better World. Tell your friends and visit us online at www.impactcapitalmanagers.com.